In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. We journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you, and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. And today we're joined by Washington correspondent Tia Mitchell um, to talk about, well, what we thought of when we originally scheduled this podcast. It was going to be completely focusing on the epic Senate runoffs in Georgia that have consumed the nation's attention for the last nine weeks. Um, but just like with every other national outlet newspaper broadcast in the world, that news was eclipsed by the unfortunate, the tragic, I don't know what the, how to best describe it, the mob um, that attacked the U.S. Capitol on, uh, on Wednesday just as networks were formally declaring John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock the winners. It was this bizarre split screen all day. And Tia, you were right in the middle of it. Yeah, I was at the Capitol because we knew that was the day that Congress was meeting to tally the electoral college votes. And we knew that Georgia, um, at least going into the day, um, members of Congress had expected to object to accepting Georgia's electoral votes for Joe Biden. Um, And so I was in place in the House chamber as the insurrection, the coup, the riot, whatever you want to call it, um, as it unfolded. Yeah, and so t- can you? I know you, you've you've talked about this ad nauseum. We've done stories on it. You did a Facebook uh, live. You did live uh, broadcasts from what happened. But give our listeners a, a feeling of where you were and what you felt when um, when you first realized that the barriers had been breached and this mob was was infiltrating the Capitol. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we were in the House gallery. It's a windowless place. I mean, the House chambers is windowless, you know, in the in the Capitol, just there aren't the windows to the outside. The last time I had looked outside was on my way to the House chamber. And there was a big protest, I would say several hundred people, but they were behind barricades 
and probably a hundred yards away from the steps of the Capitol themselves. They were kind of like on the lawn. And so as we were listening to the, at the time Congress was debating whether or not to accept Arizona's electoral votes. And um, next thing we got, um, we, I saw word on social media that some of the house office buildings in the Capitol complex and a building at the at the Library of Congress had been evacuated because there was some type of security breach or um, possibly a device had been found. So that was the first thing is we heard that buildings were being evacuated. Then staff came around and told us that they were going to lock down the chamber because um, there was concern about protesters trying to enter the Capitol. The Capitol has been closed to visitors um, because of the pandemic. Um, so people aren't, members of the public aren't coming into the Capitol. They're not allowed in the Capitol um, or any of the Capitol complex buildings, only you know staff and credentialed media and the members themselves. So we heard that protesters might be trying to come in, but it still wasn't like a panic. It was just FYI, we're gonna lock down the chamber so people can't come in and out, make sure you have what you need. But Congress even- And, how, and by mm, the way, how are, how are you feeling at this moment? It was just, you know, it was alarming, you know, maybe put me on, put us on another level of alert, but the debate continued. Congress was still talking normally. So, you know, it was almost, we, and again, we could not see what was happening outside. Um, I was so tuned in to kind of doing my job and trying to get posts up on AJC.com that, you know, I just wasn't aware of how bad things were getting outside. I would say we didn't really know that it was getting bad until it went from we're locking down the chamber to there was a decision made. They escorted out leaders. So we saw them take the uh, House Majority Leader, who's Cindy Hoyer. We saw them take Pence out. Um, I couldn't see them, but I knew they had taken Nancy Pelosi out of the room. And so that happened and they were just telling members to be calm, have a seat. And that's when members started, you know, there were frustration and outbursts from members kind of saying, you know, it's come to this because Republicans have, you know, spread these baseless claims. And then Republicans were saying it's come to this. And now you want to rely on the police when you wanted to defund the police earlier this year. There were like outbursts happening and frustration. And so that amplified things. But then there was a decision to um, escort the members out themselves. And at that point, we could start hearing banging, banging on doors. And so I, I would say that's kind of when, again, it, it, the, the, it just became a heightened sense of something was not right. And as they were evacuating at one point, you know, there, because of social distancing, there were some members who were up on the same level as us media, which is normally where visitors would sit and watch, you know, the house proceedings back when visitors were allowed, there were members up there. And so as they were trying to evacuate, everyone was able to clear from the main floor but those up top, including us members of the media, eventually we couldn't get out. We were told to crouch down, take cover, and we could see uh, the pro the rioters trying to get into the chamber. There's an iconic picture that's circulating of officers 
with their guns drawn and there's a piece of furniture that's barricading a door and you can see the rioters trying to break the glass to get in. I saw that in real time, you know? And so that's kind of, and we were just stuck because we knew that the infiltrators, the insurrectionists were right outside the doors of the chamber and we were locked inside. Um, we did hear a loud bang coming from the what's an area known as the speaker's lobby. At the time, we did not know if it was a gunshot or a tear gas canister because we, we had been given gas masks because they had used tear gas in the rotunda initially trying to push the protesters away as they came towards the House chamber. Um, but that's the speaker's lobby is where that lady was shot and killed. So um, I can say we heard a loud bang um, but I cannot confirm whether that's the gunshot that um, we heard. Um, and after a few minutes, police did kind of subdue the protesters from coming up on that second floor. And um, we had to walk out past the protesters. They were kind of like the rioters were face down. Um, police were kind of, you know, had told them to get down, face down, and we had to walk past them. Um, as we eventually were evacuated after several minutes. So that was kind of the most dramatic part. After that, we were just kind of in lockdown in one of the house office buildings. Um, members were in one room and some of the media was in the room with the members. I was in a different room where it was mostly media and staff and we just remained there for several hours. The TVs were on um, and we just, Kind of, and that's really where it sank in what was happening outside the Capitol. So you're relying on Twitter, TV, social media, basically to tell you what was happening outside, um, because you, you know, obviously you only had a partial glimpse, but a very dramatic one of exactly. what was going on. Exactly. Wow. Wow. And you were there. Let's be clear too. You were there. There was a national story, but there's also a giant local story because a majority of Georgia's congressional delegation was backing this this attempt to overturn the the state of the Georgia's election and the and the presidential election overall. And so you were trying to keep one eye on that as it was unfolding and the other eye on the protests going on um, that were breaching the, the Capitol gates. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, prior to things changed, things changed significantly for Georgia after the riot. But before the riot... Um, you had Senator Kelly Leffler, who was going to give them the Senate vote they needed to object to Georgia's electoral votes being tallied. And then you had the six House members. There are six. I know that, you know, different lists were going around because some of the members didn't tell us until the last minute how they planned to vote. But there are and there were six that um, made it clear that they would uh, dispute not just Georgia, but other contested states where um, swing states that were won by Joe Biden. And so, you know, we were waiting for that. Arizona, they were taking the states in alphabetical order. Um, they were taking the states in alphabetical order. Um, and so Arizona was first. And they were, so I was paying attention to the debate in Arizona because it was like showing us what was going to unfold later. Georgia was going to be second. Georgia alphabetically was the second state that was going to be contested 
And um, so we were listening. There was two hours of debate. And very dramatic debate, right? I mean, I, I, I was watching it on TV and it was just, it, it, it was kind of what movie debate. You know, you, usually it's just very boring and <laughs> very staid. But it, uh, as I was watching it last night, um, I, had, I made my kids watch it too because I was like, this, this is, this is um, and, 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 you know, highlighting the, the Republicans and Democrats who stood together and said what a farce this was, what a joke this was. Right, right, right. We have to, the, a majority of House Republicans, we need to be clear on this. It wasn't just Georgia's delegation. A, re, a majority of House Republicans in Congress supported these challenges. They continue even now to spread misinformation, false information about the election, not just in Georgia, but in several swing states, even now. A majority of the delegation, a majority not only of Georgia's GOP delegation, but a majority of Republican members of Congress. However, there were, you know, still dozens of Republicans who joined with uh, 200 or so Democrats to say that is not true and these uh, objections should be dismissed. And so in debate, you had. Republicans on one side saying, here's why we don't think Arizona's votes should count. But then you had other Republicans and Democrats on the other side saying, that's not true. That's based on false information. That's based on conspiracy theories. That's based on um, things President Trump has said that are not true. And here's why Arizona's votes should be tallied. And that is what was going on when the riot happened, we also have to remember that President Trump had spoken at the mm-hmm. rally mm-hmm. right around that time as well, right before the joint session began. And he encouraged the those who showed up to continue to demonstrate, to take it to the Capitol. Um, he didn't specifically encourage violence, but he encouraged, you know, activism. He encouraged insurrection. And that is what directly preceded the influx of folks coming to the Capitol. And um, they that was when they overwhelmed Capitol Police and decided to enter the building. And so after after uh, security forces kind of got things more under control, did you leave the Capitol or uh, were you basically hunkered down still inside the walls? Well, that's the thing. After they Um, D.C. implemented a curfew Mm -hmm. at six. And that is really after that happened is when, you know, law enforcement was more empowered to clear the crowd. And once the crowd was cleared, Congress decided to go back into session. You know, they said, we're here to do a job. We're not going to let the mob and the violence deter us. And so around eight or nine p.m., we went back to work. And we were about that time, we were let back into the gallery um, and we got back to work. I um, covered Congress as they completed debate on Arizona. Um, That is when Senator Leffler announced that she would no longer support the objection to Georgia. And it became clear that Georgia would no longer be a state whose electoral votes would be would be challenged successfully. Um, 
But we had to get through Arizona. So they had to finish debate on Arizona. Then they had to take a vote. Again, it failed in both chambers. But at the time, there were six Republican senators. We know that Georgia only has one senator right now, and that's Leffler. She did not vote with the six. She was with that 93 majority. And then in the House, again, that vote was um, like 300 and something to 120-ish. There were six Georgia Republicans who were part of the 120 odd members who voted to reject Arizona's electoral votes. And again, I want to be clear on that. Those six were Marjorie Taylor Greene, Andrew Clyde, Jody Heiss, Buddy Carter, Barry Loudermilk, Rick Allen. They voted to reject Arizona's ballots um, based on misinformation and false information about the election process. Um, and so once that vote was had, again, it failed because uh, a majority rejected it. Arizona's votes were accepted and they started going back down the list. And when they got to Georgia, Jody Heiss spoke um, and said, we don't think, you know, I want to object to Georgia's tally being accepted. And Marjorie Taylor Greene stood with him. Rick Allen stood with him. I believe Buddy Carter stood with him. And um, but there was no senator. You have to have a, at least one member of each chamber to have an objection move forward. Again, Leffler was no longer willing to object. No other senator was willing to take her place in objecting. And so Heiss's motion to object failed. And so then quickly after Georgia's electoral votes were certified. And then they started going down the list further. I didn't leave the Capitol until Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania was the second state that was successfully, um, that a objection was successful and went to debate um, and a vote. And again, those same six members from Georgia I just now just named also voted to reject Pennsylvania's electoral votes. But again, it did not it was not successful. A majority of the House and the Senate um, accepted Pennsylvania's votes. And But I was back home. I, I went back home during that debate on Pennsylvania. So that was, I got home around 2 a.m. I was about to say, that's okay. And, and, and remember, folks, um, we had all been up pretty much all night. I was definitely up all night the night before with the Senate runoffs, which we'll get to in a second. Um, one more thing I want to note too, Georgia only had one U.S. Senator, um, Kelly Loeffler, because David Perdue's term technically expired. It expired on Sunday. Uh, and because of quirk in Georgia law, because of a federal judge ruling, the runoff wasn't until two days after his term expired. But David Perdue had also backed this push. He had also supported... Um, this this uh, even though he couldn't vote on it, he was he was even telling supporters he would back it, even though he knew he could not vote on it. And he was his his campaign was amplifying tweets from President Trump, thanking him for backing um, this this push to invalidate two point five million Georgia votes um, and reverse the, the results of Georgia's election. So even though he wasn't there with Senator Leffler, we don't know how he would have he would have voted because his office has not responded to questions seeking that answer. Um, he also was on board with Kelly Leffler. We know Kelly Leffler's position switched, but we don't know about his. That's right. And, um, you know, I just think that needs to be reckoned with. Again, I'm not here to say who's right or who's wrong, but I want us to speak truth about what happened. And, you know, even 
after everything happened, you saw Congressman Heiss and other Republicans, you know, um, continuing to spread bad information about not just Georgia's election, but even the violence that unfolded at the U.S. Capitol. And um, we've seen members of the General Assembly do the same, where they continue to talk about, you know, the election not being carried out legally and, and that things happened that were um, not pursuant to the law. And even though those arguments have been made in court and rejected, they continue to repeat those arguments. Exactly. And look, again, all this has eclipsed attention on just stunning to me, at least, <laughs> results in Georgia's runoffs. And I'm saying stunning because I was fully expecting this to go on for days. Um, I thought it would be, there'd be a lot slower of a ballot count. Maybe I'm too scarred from November when it, it was 10 days before the networks um, formally called Georgia uh, going Biden's way. Um, but also really, you know, it took days and days and days um, for, for hardworking county election staffers to go through troves of, of absentee ballots. This process was much quicker. So even as this was all unfolding, we had the networks calling the races for John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock after, after really um, troves of, of ballots from Metro Atlanta showed um, that the, these races were outside the realm of, of a recount possibility. And so you got this news while you were hunkered down in the Capitol, Tia. Yes. Um, you know, you're right that the, the events at the Capitol eclipsed um, the news coming out of Georgia because the race was called for Ossoff right around the time that the joint session was getting underway and that the protests were starting to turn into a riot. And so um, that was that win was kind of overshadowed. But, you know, I think, you know, the good news for Ossoff is, yeah, you're probably the calling for your race was overshadowed, but you got a six six years to, you know, serve as a senator. So I'm sure he's not too sad about it. Um, but I think the implications are something that the wider implications, as you mentioned, have also been overshadowed because the so much has been on the focus on, you know, what what Congress was doing and in the siege of the Capitol and what that means about our democracy. But I think, again, that's coming too. people are going to start realizing that there is a shift of power in the Senate. And it's not just about now Democrats have a majority. Now Democrats will chair committees, um, mm -hmm. even though there may be more cooperation than than a normal more more cooperation with Republicans because technically it's a 50-50 split, Democrats still get more control than they would have had. Democrats still get to call the shots more than they would have. Chuck Schumer still gets to be the top dog. And that's a big shift. Um, and, and so we'll start seeing that unfold, particularly once Ossoff and Warnock are both sworn in, which you know may take some time. I think it's going to depend a lot on if Kelly Leffler and David Perdue decide to fight this, it, are the margins of error outside the 0.5 percentage points for a recount now? Uh, they, uh, they are verging that way. It appears that it will stay that way. Um, on Friday is the deadline for military overseas absence and ballots and curing pro pro provisional ballots. Um, but um, privately, Republicans think it's not, not only is this, is this over, it's, with, it's outside the bounds of a recount. And I think as you were saying, too, um, 
you know, this, this not only changes the dynamic of Washington, um, it changes the dynamic of Georgia's electoral landscape as well, because this is the third, these, this is the third Democratic streak here, the, the third Demo- yeah. epic Democratic win after coming on the heels of, of Joe Biden's uh, victory in Georgia by 12,000 votes. This was an even bigger margin for Democrats. And you can't say it's because people weren't, you know, enthused about the vote or didn't know about the vote because almost a billion dollars was spent making sure yeah. that every Georgia, every Georgia with ears, eyes, whatever, knew about these the epic stakes of this runoff. Yeah, I think, you know, especially because it came in a runoff, that's almost even more impressive um, that Democrats were able to win. You know, Democrats are the ones whose voters, you know, have the lower propensity that are harder to turn out for, you know, um, outside of presidential um, election years with a presidential race on the ballot. You know, um, the fact that Democrats won in a runoff, I think, is is an even bigger deal because that required a lot of organizing to ensure that their folks showed up. It wasn't just about making sure you have a good candidate and making sure you have a good platform. This was about organizing. This was about turnout. Um, And it also showed the weaknesses on the Republican side, not so much, I mean, you know, there were weaknesses, particularly with Leffler as a candidate. I'm not saying she was a bad candidate, but you know, she had weaknesses as a candidate. but it also showed the weaknesses because, you know, their message was so inconsistent because of President Trump. Um, and that hurt them in their efforts to organize because it's hard to, you know, it's hard when your message isn't clear to get people motivated because people were hearing different things about what they were being asked to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tia, I know it's been a long day, a long night for you already, <laughs> overnight. Thank you so much for joining us um, and keep up your great work at the Capitol, watching what Georgia's delegation is doing for audience, not only all across Georgia, but all across the nation. Thank you so much. And um, thank you. You've been a great partner. Thank you for all of our AJC listeners and readers and subscribers, because, you know, we're trying our best to put out a, a product that you can trust and a product that has the right information, the correct information. I'm not saying we're perfect, but we're doing our best to bring you, again, accurate information that's based off facts. And I think that's important in this time. And we need supporters to do that. We need subscribers to do that. Well said, Tia. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. 
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.